This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. The Lord wanted me to, to minister some. I'm calling it the blessed family. The blessed family. Because family is something that is at the heart of God. God is a family God. In fact, the name Father tells us and speaks of family. If you're a father, there's kids. How many would agree with that? If your name's Father, there's children involved. There's offspring involved. And God has already, always, His intent has been to use family, to have family in the earth and, of course, in heaven. So we're going to look um, the next week or so, because I'm not sure how long, just however long he, he says, and we're going to look just some different aspects of family. And we know that this is God's creation, this is God's idea, but every society that takes a downward turn, they have found that it's been a breakdown of the family structure involved. When family is weak or torn apart, society is weak and torn apart. There's another element to that, that they've studied countries and, and uh, societies that have gone under. It's because of a lack of the gospel, too. When you find lack of the gospel, you find weak and torn families. So we need uh, the gospel and we need families to be strong. And not to be weak, but to be serving God. And God's designed family is what we're after. The functioning family, the way He designed it to be. And it's not a family that, um, that the government can invent. We can't redefine what family is. No school can supplement or be, be family. Only what God designed is really, truly family. And God, well, you might say, well, Pastor, I'm single. Well, I have good news for you. Because the Bible spoke of those that were even strangers that would come to Israel. And God said, accept them as family if they will accept me. What's he talking about? It was a picture of the church. Even if you're single in this place, you still are a part of family. In fact, the Bible speaks that the spiritual family is stronger and more powerful than the blood family, the physical family. So your family, you're a part. And I, I believe that there'll be revelation and insight even as I, I speak of, of family and, and physical family, but also know their spiritual family as we are a part of the church of God. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man. And you see I've got, if you're looking at your notes, I've got means man and woman. In our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion, the ability to rule and make decisions over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You have authority over those creeps. Whatever's creeping. Genesis 1.28, skipping that, says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Say, be fruitful 
and multiply. Then it says, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's plan from the beginning revolved around the creation of family. And we see after creation, the first thing uh, we see here is a marriage between Adam and Eve. They became one. Notice family. Be fruitful and multiply. God's plan was always to have family. In fact, his purpose and his plan will be fulfilled through family. And you find this, this theme throughout all the scriptures. You find family, family, father speaking to family. In fact, we could say that the story of the Bible is about a father who birthed a family and then watched that family become dysfunctional and lost and destitute and bankrupt with no hope of ever being reunited with, with the Father. He watched this, and then through the centuries and through the years, he worked to bring back his family, to get his family back. And then we know because of the cross, because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus bought the way back, that there would be a spiritual rebirth into God's family. And once again, Father would be restored back to his family. Can you give Jesus a hand for that? Are you thankful for the cross? So God has always had at his heart family. In fact, I believe that God created us because he wanted family. I didn't say he needed family. I said he wanted family. He saw you and I before the foundation of the world, and he said, I want you. I want you. I want you. I want family. I didn't say he needed family because when you study scriptures, it says he's the all-sufficient one. There's not anything that he's lacking. He's got it all. But he saw us, and he loved us, and he wanted us to be his very own, his daughter, his son, to be a part of his family. What a good, good father. What a good, good father that we serve, that we love, that we live for, that we walk with, that we partner with. Anyway, scriptures, we see the first two people created or united in marriage, at the end of the book, the book of Revelation, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this thing really, it begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and God put them together as one. And then it ends with a wedding, and the bridegroom comes for the bride, the church. Do you see the picture of family in this? God is into family. That means we need to be into family. In Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So I want you to see here, Adam has an assignment from God. And it's two aspects to it, two requirements. Number one is to tend the garden. And tend here means to be a caretaker or a term that would be more familiar to us would be a farmer. Said, Adam, I want you to be a farmer. I want you to do the harvest. I want you to take care of the Garden of Eden. 
Now, I have to believe this wasn't uh, real hard being a farmer at that time. Because I believe everything was producing perfectly. I mean, I, he could almost come up to the tree with his basket and it's about falling in, you know. Weeds? No, no weeds. Insects eating on trees? No, not around. I mean, we're talking about a farmer that's got it made. And he has a beautiful, perfect wife. I mean, everything's good. There's no squabbles with the neighbors. Nobody's getting on to him. He doesn't have trouble with his boss. Everything's good. We're talking about paradise. We're talking about a place where everything is perfect. That's a place we're going to get to go back to sometime. <laughs> it's a good place. So he's a farmer. The second part was keep the garden. Keep the garden. And keep here means to protect, to guard, and to keep watch over. Now, why would God tell Adam to keep watch or the guard or to keep the garden? Because God knew of the danger of an intruder coming into the garden. He knew, Adam, you've got to protect, you've got to stay on guard, you've got to stay awake, protect the garden. Protect the Garden of Eden. And when you look at Eden, it's interesting. If you've ever read about some of the Jewish uh, language and in the Hebrew, each letter had a meaning and a picture to it. And when you take the letters of Eden, the Hebrew's letters mean to see. It means pathway, door, and life. It's speaking uh, of, of a place of life. And the garden was more than a place where plants grow. Garden also means enclosure or hedge. So what it suggests by these, these words is that this garden had a fence around it or a hedge around it. And he's telling Adam, if somebody comes through the hedge... Someone comes through the fence. You protect the garden. You stand guard over it. And he said, I've given you authority. You subdue and you take dominion. You rule this thing and you protect this garden. So this hedge is there. But another way that we can look at the Garden of Eden, it could be translated or maybe I should say interpreted like this. A hedge of eternal life. It's the door of life. We know who the door of life is. Jesus. He's the door. He's the way. He is the life. And this garden was a hedge of eternal life. A place uh, of perfection. So here we have Adam who has authority to keep intruders or anyone, a trespasser, out or uh, coming across that uh, property line of the garden. Now, how many in here have a security system? Lift up your hand. Several of you. And a security system, why do we have a security system? Because we want to protect, we want to watch over, we want to guard our house because our house is valuable to us. 
We, we live there. We have valuable things there, and we want to protect it. We also, uh, when we're there, we want to protect us. And you have uh, sensors that they put on the door, and you open the door, and if you don't turn off that alarm in a certain amount of time, there's the security company gets the signal, and they will call the police, and that's your backup to bring protection. Now, what happens if I go on vacation and I don't turn on the alarm? There's no security system on. I come home, and I've been robbed. And what do I do? I'm going to sue the security system people, the company. I'm upset at them, but I, that gets you nowhere because I didn't turn on the alarm. See, God is saying you need to keep the security system on in your life. There's doors. There's windows. A trespasser could come in, intruder, but you have authority to stop them and not let them in. Adam was to subdue and take dominion. Now, this dominion was to be exercised by walking with God in partnership with Him. It wasn't something that Adam did without God. He did it in partnership with God. Because Adam had a part and God had a part. What was Adam's part? To guard and protect the garden. What was God's part? God's part was when Adam exercised that dominion, that rule, and protected the, the garden, God with His power would back up the man as he obeys Father. Everybody got the picture? So one day, an intruder comes, creeping. It was a walking snake. Comes walking into the garden. This intruder, this trespasser. And what was Adam to do? He was to be on guard. He was to be watching. And what he should have said and what he should have done was this. He should have immediately evicted the trespasser. He should have immediately kicked out this intruder. But he did not. And you know what happened. This intruder, this enemy came and caused, he didn't come directly against them and say disobey God. He brought cunning, deception to get them to sin and choose to go another way than what God said to do. But Adam had authority. He was to kick out, to evict that trespasser because he was called to do that. He could have said, who are you? Why are you here? Get off my property. Go now. Get out. And God would have backed him up. An angel or whatever would have came and took this serpent and threw it out of the garden. It would have had no place in the garden. And things would have gone differently. But God had an alternate plan 
He knew what man would do. And he already had the solution before there was the problem. And same for you. The mess that you're in, the problem that you're in, God already has the solution before you got into the mess. Adam did not do his part. He was passive and it cost him everything. And we can't be passive. We can't be complacent. We got to rise up in the authority of what God's given us. And we have to come against any intruder, any trespasser in our life. How do you know what a trespasser is? Well, you look at the Word of God and you can see what intrudes against the truth, against the knowledge of the truth, against the Spirit of God. You know that's an intruder and you evict it. There's some things you need to evict out of your thinking that's not from God. Quiet in this place. He was passive about his authority. He was passive about his assignment. He was passive about protecting his wife. He was passive about communicating with his wife about what God had said. Because he received this communication before Eve was even around. And the Bible says that Eve was deceived by Adam was not deceived. He willfully rebelled against God. And it cost him everything. You might be thinking, why didn't God do something about the serpent? Well, he had delegated authority to Adam. And when God gives his word, he doesn't turn back on his word. He wasn't going to take it back from Adam. So, what was he left to do? Adam didn't do his part, and God could not do Adam's part. Only you can do your part. God couldn't do his part because Adam didn't do his part where God could do his part. But he could not and would not do what Adam was called to do. And that was to take dominion over that garden and evict the trespasser. What happened is Adam lost the authority that God had given him. The devil is called in scriptures cunning, an angel angel of light, he lights things up to make them look good and make it look like fun, make it look like the way, but under the surface, it will wreck your life. That's what the enemy does. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He wanted to get inside the property lines and deceive Adam and Eve and make a wedge between them, and he did. Because the next thing you know, God comes into the garden And you got Adam complaining about Eve. There had never been anything before them but love before. But now there's strife. And Eve says, hey God, it's that woman you gave me. She's the problem. (laughs) And on and on it goes. And Eve said, it's that snake. 
because Adam was complacent and didn't take authority. The devil was coming to destroy family. Why do I say that? Because there's no recorded time that the serpent was in the garden until there was Adam and Eve in a marriage. Until there was family started. Satan knew that was a threat. He knew that God would fulfill his plan and purpose through family. And when he saw this marriage, he came out. And all of a sudden, he's walking on the scene to disturb things. Well, pastor, I had no problems until I got married. Well, guess what? Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. You thought you had this perfect little garden, you and Sweetie Pie. And there came the snake on the stick. And then you entertain him. And the next thing you know, this intruder's come into your life, and all you can do is speak his lingo. And boy, did it cost them because their authority became skewed. Their children, you talking about a mess? Cain, Cain killed Abel. That's sibling rivalry on steroids. I mean, that's messed up. But the greatest thing that happened was the separation between the loving Father and His creation that was passed on to all mankind and produced a curse in the earth. And that curse is still in the earth. But thank God because of Jesus, we can walk with Him and we are redeemed from the curse. And we can walk in life and victory and reign in this life. First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I want you to know Satan is real and he hates you. He hates you. He hates your family. He's after your seed. We might talk about that later. He wants to deceive us into choosing sin and compromise, being complacent. He wants to lull us to sleep, no longer standing guard. But this scripture is telling us to keep our guard up. Keep your windows and doors locked. Keep your family locked down. Keep the security system on. And when you're walking with God, He put a security system on the inside of you, a guide to let you know what's going on called the Holy Spirit. And He is a tremendous sensor, very sensitive to what's going on. And He detects an intrusion. He detects when somebody's trying to come through the window or through the door. And that's when we rise up and we take authority in the name of Jesus. He's seeking who he may devour. He's looking for someone who will give him permission. Who he may. He can't just pick on anyone. He's looking for someone to give him permission. Satan has to have your cooperation before he can come in and wreck your life. How does he get permission? 
through sin, through maybe not safeguarding your life, your marriage, children, through compromise, through being asleep, through being passive, or being complacent. It opens the door to the enemy. And he will come in. He will make the intrusion. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to rob you, to cheat you. And when we sin, it leaves the door wide open for him to come and steal from us. He wants to attack your family of hurt, unforgiveness, loss of intimacy, rebellion, disrespect, anger, pride. But see, really, before you can start thinking about protecting your marriage or children, you need to take stock of yourself. Is there places in your life that you have open doors? That you have some open windows? That you've opened yourself up to an intrusion, to the enemy, to a trespasser who has nothing, he's nothing, there's no fairness in him. He has no mercy for you when you're down. In fact, he will kick you when you're down. But we have authority over him. We have power over Him. But we have to exercise it. We have to stand up. Make sure you're not leaving the door open. Pray and ask God to forgive you. And He always will. First John 1 John 1.9 But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to protect your family, make sure Make sure there's no sin in your life. Get rid of it. Put God first. When you put God first, you know what happens? When you're honest with Him and say, I need help in this area, God's security system comes on. And that means the enemy just cannot waltz, waltz right into your life and do what he wants and steal from you. He can't do it. Because you're connected with God. And you have a security system that's unbeatable. The enemy cannot hack into it. He can't stop it. He's been utterly defeated. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God opened the door and the curse is still in effect. And every marriage will come across the effects of that curse at some time. Every marriage will face a point in time. Well, not me, Pastor. Well, you haven't been married long enough. Every marriage will have a time you come face to face with the curse that's in the earth. And you will choose life or death. My first marriage, I chose the wrong thing. Open the doors. I was opening the doors to the enemy left and right. Saying, come on in. And he destroyed that marriage. I didn't protect it. I was helping the enemy destroy it. What I was doing, I was resisting God. 
not the devil. I just fell right into his plan. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. Thank God that I met and married Ellen Kay. Been married 38 years. But you know what I've done? I'm following God and I protect it. I protect it. I don't take it for granted. I protect it. Enemy comes in. He's trying to get in through the door. I slam the door on his head or anything that's in the way. We have to take authority. Maybe you've been divorced. My advice for you is get as close to God as you can get. And watch what God will do. He'll turn around. He will cause you to be blessed in this life. He will cause... and. You know, the Word says that God hates divorce, but He does not hate the divorcer, <laughs> the one that's divorced. He does not hate them. What God hates divorce about is because it hurts people. God doesn't like people to be hurt. And divorce hurts people. But God loves people. So it's not the end. Maybe your kids are a mess, but I want you to know there's help. Jesus will help you. I want you to know your marriage may have lost its zing, but God can put the zing back into your dead marriage and raise that thing up from the dead and restore, restore the joy of your marriage again. He'll help you. But you got to call upon Him and you got to evict that strife and that grumbling and that complaining out the door. Because that's the enemy's voice. And it gets you nowhere. It just grows. It gets bigger and bigger. Ooh, preaching good. Thank you. In the garden, Adam and Eve lost their love connection with God because of disobedience. Go to this. The hedge had a breach. It was an open door for the wicked designs and schemes of the enemy. And Adam and Eve's marriage was crippled. Dysfunction. It was a mess. But Jesus came to earth. He came to rebuild the breach in the hedge. He came to rebuild that breach, that gap in the hedge. He defeated the enemy on the cross so our hearts could be united to Father once again. He restored authority that Adam lost so the gap in the hedge could be closed. Colossians 2.15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross he disarmed them or in the King James it says spoiled them and it means he unclothed them he, he stripped the enemy the enemy has no clothes he's streaking around 
What is it? He lost his authority. He no longer has authority. Mm. What does that mean to us? It means we can have victory in our families. It means you can walk in unity with your spouse. That you can enjoy life together as heirs of the grace of God. It means that your kids can be ministered to by you and see a godly example of the way God intended marriage and family to be. It means you win because Jesus won. The devil did not die. He's still on the earth. There's still a curse that Satan enforces. But when we cooperate with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can walk in victory over the curse. So here's the bottom line. Our job is to serve the enemy and eviction notice and enforce it with our faith. Through Christ, you can kick the devil out of your house. Some of you need to go home and kick the devil out. Kick the devil out of your finances, out of strife. Kick the devil out of your marriage, your children, your relationships, your friendship, your work, wherever it is. You have authority to command it to go and then start doing what God says. Jesus came to empower you not only to go to heaven, but his grace is so powerful and practical enough to fix any and all family challenges. And last one in your notes. Through Jesus, you've been given what it takes to repair, repair the breach in your personal family hedge and to recover. It's not only repair the breach, but to recover what the enemy has taken. So don't stop with repairing the breach. Go ahead and take what the enemy has stolen. Take it back in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads. First of all, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. If you never made that decision, that's the first decision that you need to make. You need to be a part of the family of God. You need to be a part of His family, walking and living with Him. Every head bowed and every eye shut. If you want to receive Him today, we're going to pray a simple prayer. But it has to mean something to you. It has to come from your heart. and Say, I want Jesus to be Lord. I'm turning over my life to Him. I'm going to live by Him, His Word. I'm going to follow Him. He becomes the boss of my life. He did it because He loved you. He went to the cross. His arms are open wide to receive you. Maybe you prayed this prayer before, but you realize today you haven't been walking with Him. And God wants to restore you back into that fellowship with Him. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand and we're going to pray and God will do what only He can do. Your part is to give Him your heart. His part is to give you new life. Let's pray together. Say, Dear God, thank You for Jesus who died for me that I could be a part of your family. Father, I surrender my heart, my life, my past, my present, 
my future. I give it all to you. Come into my life. I call you Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live for you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.